International House of Horrors. Valued guests, and welcome back to the International House of Horrors podcast, your sanctuary is spooky for all things terrible, horrible, brutal, bloody, gory, and the macabre. I am one of your curators here at the house, Joe Merle. And I'm the other one. I'm Josh. And it is early as shit in the morning for me. It is uh, the baby. The baby woke <laughs> yeah, up at earlier five, than usual. Yeah, the baby woke up at 530 and she was wide awake. And I was like, well, you know what? Maybe Josh will just want to record because it's... Um, <laughs> Yeah, give him a little bit more more of his Sunday afternoon to relax a little bit. Um, well, actually, today today afternoon I'm going to work, so... Oh, okay. Well, maybe give yeah. you a little bit of time before work, before you actually got to buckle yeah. down and go to work. Uh, yeah, but we are that's here. actually pretty good because I uh, I just, just before we started recording, I started a movie and then you wrote me and I decided to watch it afterwards. Oh, nice. Uh, because um, our Amazon has like the, the lower stars like stars is i think a big channel over in uh, the u.s right yeah yeah it's a big like a hbo showtime it's one of the okay. big big premium networks cable networks okay and here we got this uh, like lower down version where it's an amazon channel where you can book it on amazon for 4.99 and i decided to just uh, do the two weeks testing because they have the creep show the original oh nice uh, and that movie is banned over here but for some reason the stars channel on amazon has the complete uncut version. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I wonder if it's... Uh, I mean, I know when we had talked about it before, you said with the banning that they'll show it in the theaters because... I, and we had had a conversation about whether or not maybe it's to control distribution. So maybe yeah. a digital platform can have it because, you, you know, you can't... I mean, I guess somebody could record it and then burn a DVD, but you could do that on the internet anyway. You know, you could yeah, find a, a torrent site. So I wonder if they give them a little leeway there. Or maybe yeah, they just I, missed it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe that. Or maybe it could be that because Amazon can authenticate that I'm 18. Right, So right. they yeah, can like true. say, okay. And I, I have to enter like a password, like a, um, a age restriction, restriction password that I'm 18. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so maybe that's something to do with that. And that's why they can do that. But uh, yeah, I got that channel. That channel also has Ginger Snaps, which I've never seen. And, oh, I like Ginger uh, Snaps. I, I, I like can't the, wait I, to finally yeah, see I like it. The, <laughs> I like the first one. Um, I think there was two sequels. Because I know there was Ginger Snaps back, and then there was, I want to say, like Ginger Snaps back again, or <laughs> Ginger Snaps, still snapping. Um, <laughs> it's probably yeah. something like that. And it got the whole Castle Rock show. So oh, finally. Finally going to watch that. <laughs> nice. Now that the, the new season's just about to come out, you can finally watch the watch the first, the first one. one. Yeah. I am excited about the new one, though. The fact that they're doing Misery and uh, Annie Wilkes is the biggest player in the second season. I'm like, that's going to be cool. Oh, yeah. so is the, is the second season going to... Like, I, didn't, I still don't really know much about the show. They're, they're completely it's, independent of one another. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're so completely independent. I mean, I'm sure there'll be maybe something small in there where they try and time together. But for the most part, my understanding is they're going to be standalone standalone series 
in the end, all Stephen King works are related at some point. There's always some character crossing over. They really are. And speaking of which, um, you had talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Last night I watched In the Tall Grass. So Shane and yeah. I sat down and watched it. I know you had seen it. And, you know, it wouldn't have even been on my radar had Will not said something to me and been like, hey, did you read this novella that they had done? It's going to be this Netflix thing. So I had read it a few weeks ago. And um, so as someone who hasn't read it, what did you think of the movie? Yes, sir. I also didn't know anything about it until my friend Dave, who uh, was the guy who also uh, hated Midsummer and uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Three from Hell. He told me to just watch that movie and I decided to just do it. Like I knew nothing. I opened it. It was on the front page of Netflix. So I just started it right away. I knew nothing. And I loved the, the idea, the concept. It was really interesting. But I felt like towards the end, it got really, on the one hand, really complicated and confusing and i had no idea what was going on and on the other hand it was somehow it it didn't manage to keep my attention it was a bit boring towards the end i felt like and, but i and, still liked it and yeah. i would recommend it <laughs> and that's so i asked shana the same question last night and she really liked it i wasn't as big of a fan but i think it's because i was just just coming off of the book and there was the, the book was so different and which is weird for a novella, you know, that's only the movie was longer than the book, which is strange that the movie ends up being or the yeah, the movie ends up being longer than the book. They had some of the key kind of core components there, but so much of that thing was changed, which I felt made it good. Maybe if I didn't read that or didn't have any knowledge of that, then or it wasn't so fresh in my mind. But uh, I think that's probably it because you've just read it and now so you you really see every detail they they changed like you see everything because you just came of it right but the whole ending was different like everything in the end was completely different which i was like man that, I, that's what i guessed when you sent me the text if it ends the way it does in the book and i was like uh, no <laughs> yeah it didn't it did not end the way it did in the book uh, but and, you know i'm not i thought it would there was a lot of really cool camera stuff that they had done i really enjoyed <laughs> You know, the CGI on the grass was amazing when they would go through the grass and then it would get, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger. And we saw Patrick Wilson's eye kind of behind the behind the rows. Uh, yeah, very cool idea. And I really did enjoy the book a lot, but the movie just didn't didn't hit for me. It just wasn't there. Yeah, it's, it, it has something missing. Like I, I enjoyed it, but yeah, it's not not perfect. Right. So, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah. I, I would recommend people check it out. You know, yeah, and yeah. I, I think I wrote that to you as well. That like I feel like Stephen King just sees random things and thinks I'm gonna make a horror story out of that. Because right now we got to okay. There's tall grass. <laughs> what if you were lost in there? Why are you lost in there? Um, yeah, it was. Uh, and now with oh, but do you still have Shutter? And oh, okay. Because I was gonna tell you, you mentioned Creep Show. The Creep Show series is out now, which I watched a a, a couple episodes of that. Which has been um, so it's Greg Nicotero doing all that stuff and it's uh, it's pretty cool. I like it. I like what they're doing with it. We have one app over here though. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called VRV, where it's ten dollars a month, but you get Shutter and all kinds of other streaming platforms all bundled into one. So I wonder if you could get that because there were some other good. Um, so anyway, let's move on. Let's do gotta, our... I got to look into that. Yeah, the show is not out in Germany yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just looked it up. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, 
It was cool. It was. Uh, I'm excited to keep watching that. But we're going to start like we do every every week with our episode of The Twilight Zone. This is Season 1, Episode 20. Elegy is the title of this one. It aired on February 19th, 1960. And when I was looking through the um, uh, information on it last night, we're getting close to the end of Season 1, which is... Really? Yeah. I don't think we have that many... That many left in season one, but it, uh, well, it's according to IMDb is 16 more, <laughs> 16 more. Yeah. 36 episodes. Oh shit. Well, maybe uh, my eyes deceived me when I looked at the, <laughs> the listing on Netflix. Um, but this one, Elegy, like I said, 20th, um, 20th episode of season one. And we will start with our opening narration and then we'll move on to talk about the show itself. The time is the day after tomorrow. The place, a far corner of the universe. A cast of characters. Three men lost amongst the stars. Three men sharing the common urgency of all men lost. They're looking for home. And in a moment, they'll find home. Not a home that is a place to be seen, but a strange, unexplainable experience to be felt. And so this episode, I like this. I've always liked this episode a lot. Yeah, me too. It, it, was, a, it was really, really uh, fun and... Yeah, you, you, I was on the edge and trying to think, figure out what's going on because I didn't know as well because this was the first time I've seen it. It really is, and you know, the just the title itself kind of gives us an idea. The title "Elegy" um, traditionally like a a poem or a, a lamentation over someone who's who's been lost. Yeah, um, and so we've got these three three gentlemen, and I did I did like that I was reading in the the book on this one that a lot of these. The the equipment in that was from Forbidden Planet or was used uh, with Forbidden Planet. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then it shows up in some other episodes as well. And we actually did have the um, the room, the the frozen room with the mirror dressing everyone was used in the 16 millimeter shrine as part oh. of her house. If you notice, that was the same room, which I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and it was in the, the Purple Testament as well. So... The story, we've got these three guys, Myers, Myers Weber and uh, Kirby, who have landed their spaceship on some remote asteroid. They were running out of fuel, I think it was. Yeah, I they think They have so, to make an emergency all, landing. Yeah, they were in space for so long, so just searching for something somewhere to go. Right. And so they find this place, they land, and they do a test of the air outside, and they say, oh, it's uh, whatever, it's breathable air. We can, we can go out here. And so they get out of their spaceship... And it looks like it's a well-populated area, but everybody's frozen in place, like people cutting their grass. And yeah. I love I love this stuff, the old frozen in place stuff, where you can see clearly it's just people standing as still as possible. <laughs> you know, they're kind of moving. Yeah. Um, and some did it really good, others not so much. Like some, some I felt really like, oh, that might is like, especially with the with the model show with the uh, yeah. With the mis miscasting, uh, they they looked like they were dolls. They were not moving at all. But then there was like uh, in that one room where there was the the players. You saw the one guy's hand shaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see it a few times. You can actually see him. And you know that's the only other way they used to do it. And we actually get into some of that in the Twilight Zone, where something will freeze in time. They'll show a still image on the screen. It'll just freeze, and it'll just be a still image. So yeah, but you this, always you always know uh, when it's a still image, like when nothing is moving. That always uh, yeah, you see that as well. Right. Also, there was there was one weird shot in this episode, or maybe maybe my eyes deceived me because it was just for a second, I think, but I didn't 
uh, rewind and watch it again, where where they um, when they first find one of the guys and he falls back down or something, there's just the one guy down and the others other two are on the bridge, and then there was a freeze frame where we just saw those guys on the bridge, but it was a picture and it wasn't moving, and then it went on. Oh, that's Not true. Not sure if you saw that yeah, as yeah. well or if I, I now yeah. that you mention it, but maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. It's uh, but okay, so they did use one freeze frame. Yeah, but I I don't know why because it was his his crew like the other crew members who were not moving, and I don't know why they used that there. <laughs> huh, interesting. Yeah. So it's the majority of the episode is these guys wandering around this town trying to figure out what's going on. Why all these people yeah. are frozen in place? Because they keep hearing, you know, like a theater will turn on or somebody will be giving a speech, but then they go and it's just on a speaker. There's yeah, nothing always on the speaker. There's always everything on a on a speaker. And things change when they meet Wickwire, Jeremy uh, Wickwire, who I love when he he first moves his head and you get that almost like I, I want to say like fanciful, almost like a fairy type music like this weird or like a leprechaun. Like I would expect if a leprechaun was showing up that that type of uh, like real happy kind of strange music plays. And Wickwire tells them that he's the caretaker for what was it? Happy Glades. Is the yeah. the name of the place, and then explains to them that it's a cemetery, and that they're on this big cemetery, and he asks them, you know, well, what's the one thing you would do if you had the, you could do it forever, whatever the case may be, and I think they'd all said, be on the ship going home, yeah. right? Was the big thing, be on the ship going home, and turns out Wickwire had poisoned them. He gives them all something to drink. He poisons them, and then explains to them there is no antidote. And they couldn't go back because anywhere that there is man, there is trouble is or no, war. Yeah. yeah, like after the there, Great War, there can I think be peace. Said, yeah, there was the Great War in 1985. And we learned that Wickwire is not human. He's a robot caretaker of sorts. And he's like, yeah. oh, I must have been asleep for at least 200 years now. It's been yeah. a long time. And so he kills them all and embalms them. Uh, in their ship, putting them at the yeah. different consoles and and things like that, which is uh, it's actually I, I I don't know why I've always liked this one so much. I just the idea of it and you know it's it's scary in itself if you were to show up to some place and everybody's just frozen in time. And they even say maybe we're moving extremely fast or they're moving extremely slow. They could be yeah. alive, but maybe not. But uh, so, what yeah, do but you think? Uh, I, I I really like this episode uh, as much as you. Yeah, it's it's uh, totally enjoyable. But there were, were some really cheesy elements to this. Like they they took a long time to figure out that people are not moving. Like yeah, <laughs> they saw the dog frozen stiff and said like, "Come here," and he didn't move. So they just went on and saw the the, the guy just standing there, and uh, they tried to talk to him, and he didn't move. And then they just went on and saw another guy just sitting there, not moving. And they, they took a long as time to figure out that something's wrong. They they really did because I feel like we didn't get Wickwire until the beginning of the third act. Like it was yeah, it was very close to the end. And then he explains to him, you know, while there's no or while there are men, there can be no peace. Yeah, and it seems like a and very to, expensive graveyard to have your <laughs> to have your body shipped off onto an asteroid and however far away from Earth. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, there was lots of ominous music in this one, like especially with the uh, when when he gives them their drinks and the music just swells and swells yeah. and swells and they just drink the drink and it stops. 
And you thought like, okay, was this like humor where they're like playing a joke on us? But no, then the drink was actually poison. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he, they have, I, I feel like they played that exact cue like three or four times throughout the episode. Every time they see something. <laughs> it lets you know, it, lets you know that it's scary. Yeah. It's gotta be, <laughs> gotta be I, I, still, I really, really liked the episode. Like this was uh, really fun. Yeah, and it was really well acted. I thought all of them, um, Kevin Hagen, who was it? Kevin Hagen, Jeff Moreau, Cecil Kellaway, and Don Dubbins, who I don't know any of those names really jumped out at me, but I thought they all did a good job. And uh, yeah, overall, it was just a a fun one. Not quite as fun as next week, but let's do the closing narration for this one. And then we can talk about what's coming What's coming next week. Kirby, Weber, and Myers, three men lost. They shared a common wish, a simple one, really. They wanted to be aboard their ship headed for home. And fate, a laughing fate, a practical jokester with a smile stretched across the stars, saw to it that they got their wish with just one reservation. The wish came true, but only in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> uh, next one I think is one of the one of uh, probably maybe not the most remembered but one of the best episodes of the Twilight Zone and it's actually one of the ones that Jordan Peele recommended when the show came out and I think you can even see some of it in Us his movie Us okay. so it's an episode that he really likes and it is Mirror Image which I don't know if you've seen Mirror Image but it's, no, I haven't oh, it's yet. so good it is so good. And all right, so let's go on to the main Can't topic. To yes, the main topic for today is one that we got to in a roundabout way. We had a different idea because we had both uh, had a chance to watch Jasper Noe's new movie, Climax. And we were like, oh, let's do a, let's do a Jasper Noe uh, episode. And then the more we talked about it, it's like, well, it's October. You know, maybe stick to more traditional kind of horror stuff. And the more I thought about it, I was like, is he even a horror director? Like I think yeah, some, he made like one horrible movie. Yeah, like, horror movie. And yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, I, I for the most part, the dude makes some really intense movies that make you feel yeah. things. But I don't know if I would consider him a horror director, so to speak, or that his library, even if he's not a horror director, I don't know if his stuff I would even really call horror. So thinking about more traditional type horror, we said, well, let's do an episode about William Castle. Yeah. And uh, there was a movie that you had been telling me for a while that I needed to watch. And there's some other of his stuff that I already know I really enjoy. Uh, but before we even get into that, we'll talk about the man himself a little bit. And I know you had done a little bit of digging. You know, the guy was notorious for his gimmicks. It's kind of what he yeah. did. And making, you know, B movies more than anything else. Yeah, had, it, yeah it, it was cheap, cheap movies. And with... Not much production value. And I, I feel like they were usually like... You you can say he's on a level when it comes to his movies with Roger Corman. Yeah. And like these kind of guys where he... Uh, he, he made movies uh, mostly for to make money. And uh, yeah, but he tried to get as many people as possible in the seats with his gimmicks. That was the big uh, thing was the gimmicks. And he... Yeah. You know, as uh, like you said, and from what I was reading, he was able to always get out his movie on time, always on budget. Like he could yeah. put together these movies and get everything out. And I, you know, reading a little bit about him, like these guys' stories, some of these guys, like he was orphaned at 11 years old. So he's old enough to remember being orphaned, which is traumatic enough. 
yeah. then he dropped out of high school at 15 to work in the theater. So 11 years old, he's orphaned. 15 years old, he's like, fuck it. I'm dropping out of school because I'm going to go work in the movie theater. And he um, came to the attention of Columbia Pictures for his ability to promote things. Like he was a great promoter. And from what I was reading about his personal life, he just had a type of personality where he just attracted people to him. You know, he was a flame that just attracted people to him. And you can see that even in his in his movies because he's on screen in most of them at yeah. some point. And he has this this kind of charm where you're like he, he looks like the guy uh uh you know he I don't know how to say it, but he he has this kind of just aura around him. Like yeah. when you see him on screen just for those for those short minutes. Yeah, he's very warm and inviting. And his biggest thing was probably, well, I shouldn't say his biggest thing because we remember him from the movies, but he was a producer on Rosemary's Baby. And so that was kind of maybe his biggest claim to fame. But um, <laughs> that's, that's actually, I'm, I'm not sure if this is even the right way, but that's what I wrote down at the very <laughs> yeah. end. His biggest gimmick is yeah. Rosemary's Baby because that was actually a good and scary movie and probably much scarier than all the movies he did. <laughs> right. It was much, yeah, it was. It was uh, Rosemary's Baby is is terrifying. And he had seen a play when he was a kid. He saw Dracula actually with Lugosi. And that's when he determined that he wanted to do it. So he dropped out of school and went to work on Broadway, all this stuff, and then finally got noticed in films. And somehow he got Orson Welles' telephone number and he convinced Welles to lease him this theater, this Stony Creek Theater. And oh, my alarm's going off. I don't know if you heard that. It was the, the Halloween theme. Um, so this is when I was supposed to wake up this morning, 7.30 to get ready. And so he gets Orson Welles to lease him this theater because Welles was taken off to go work on Citizen Kane. He hires this German actress, and then he learns that under the Theater Guild regulations, German-born actors at this time could only appear in plays originally performed in Germany. So he's in the States. He hires this German actress, but learns that German actors can only appear in stuff that was originally German. So what does this guy do? He claimed that he had hired her for this play that didn't even exist. So this non-existent play, he just makes up a, a makes up a name and hires her to do this play. He then spends two days writing the play and having it translated into German. So over the course of two days, he writes an entire play and then has it translated to German and then is able to use that made-up play in order to do it in the States, which is just amazing. It's just amazing that this guy was like, okay. And he even, from what I was reading, if this is true or not, he secretly vandalized the theater and painted swastikas and stuff on it to, to gain, um, you know, notor not notoriety, but uh, attention to get people talking about this play in this theater. He's sneaking around in the night painting swastikas on things. Um, and so that that's that's he already started with the gimmicks in theater. <laughs> already already started with the the gimmicks and it worked and the resulting um, publicity around it ensured the success of the play. People came to see it. Everybody came to check it out, which I thought was so and so cool. And that's why he then went on to make movies that way, I guess. Uh, which I guess uh, leads us to uh, because that's a great idea. But he had lots of like the greatest ideas. And oh, so I, sure. I have written down uh, all the movies he did, at least according to that website I found, with the with the gimmick that I put into it. And I, I thought we might as well just go through the list, uh, talk about the um, 
the the movies he started with with the with the gimmicks and uh maybe shot if we know anything about the movie we can talk about it we've seen a few of them but not yeah. many <laughs> but which so i now want to watch yeah i now want to watch a um i want to watch many many more yeah because okay so you go he, ahead we'll start working through the list and then we can talk about any of that because i watched three of them this week two i had seen one i hadn't seen that i'm excited to talk about the one i hadn't seen yeah, me, I'm, I'm excited to talk about all three of them because they're all so much fun. Yeah. Because I've seen all three as well. So, but the first one I haven't seen, it's from 1958 and called uh, Macabre. Oh, um, yes. I saw that one, but I don't think I've seen it. Let me... I, I haven't seen it. The, the description is a, daughter, uh, a doctor's daughter is kidnapped and buried alive and he is given just five hours to find and rescue her. Okay. And it's got no people that I know of uh, in it that uh, sound familiar to me. But yeah, it's uh, directed by William Castle. And his gimmick for that movie, that, that was his first big gimmick, was that he, uh, at the entrance of the theater, he gave out life insurance for $1,000 if you die of uh, of fear. <laughs> <laughs> that is so amazing. Yeah, and so that, that's how he started already. And luckily for him... Um, uh, no one died. No one died, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also for... Oh, I was for bigger, Yo, go yeah. ahead. For for bigger cinemas, he also got like emergency vehicles and nurses at the entrance, which is so cool. To, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this is a time when people 1958, you know, to see stuff on the the big screen like that, people really were terrified. And yeah. and you know, maybe not everybody, but the very idea of it, like this is you and I talk about it all the time. We see these lists and you'll see something like it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. It's like, oh, now I got to see it. I got to see it. <laughs> this guy was doing that on a whole nother level. Like, yeah. oh, it, it, just in case you accidentally die, here's $1,000 in life insurance to make and sure your family can take care of your expenses after you're gone. <laughs> yeah, and they, they still they still do these kind of things. Like, I think when, when Raw, that uh, 2017 French movie, was released, yeah. uh, at, at the theaters they gave out barf bags in, in, in case you needed to, uh, to vomit. Not sure if anyone did, but they handed out the bags. <laughs> yeah, which is, is great. And Raw did have some stuff in it that I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, I had to look away a few times. <laughs> even though the worst part for Raw, for me, wasn't even anything really. It was when her sister was um, yanking out her, like, waxing her. And you could see the hair being pulled out of the body. I was like, ah, it was like that super close up shot of just like hair being ripped out of skin. And I was like, oh, that's um, so I wonder if Macabre is uh, I'm going to try and see if any of these are available anywhere. I'm sure they're on iTunes, but you never know. I looked and over here, they're they're almost none of them are available. And sadly, uh, they also aren't on YouTube for the most part. But uh the next movie on the list is actually available widely, widely because I think it's already in the public domain. And that's uh, 1959's movie House on Haunted Hill. Yes. Which is probably my favorite of the Castle films. It is. Uh, it, it, might, it might be there for me. But at the same time, it, it could be the thing. Well, we'll get to it. So, a House on Haunted so, Hill. Oh, yeah, it looks like I can get Macabre on iTunes for $10. So, that's not okay. bad. So, I might have to grab that. House so, on Haunted uh, Hill, you're starting with the great Vincent Price, which is yeah, makes and, everything better. And when I was watching it yesterday, I was, sitting, I was sitting with the baby, just watching it, kind of playing with her at the same time. And I looked up at the screen, and I was talking to Shane. I was like, how tall was Vincent Price? 
And then I looked it up, and dude was 6'4". I didn't realize he was that tall. And then the, all the names underneath, which also blew my mind, I had no idea that Lugosi was taller than Karloff. I always thought Karloff was the taller one. Yeah, because Karloff is always this... Well, okay, we you it, mostly know him from right. Frankenstein. And that's what, that's what we talked about. We were like, you know, you picture him in your head, but Karloff was 5'11", and Lugosi was 6'1". Which I didn't think he was that tall. I always thought he was a, a shorter guy, but anyway, we yeah. we digress. <laughs> we, yeah. So, so uh, what I got on House on Haunted Hill is that um, it was like they advertised it was filmed in Imergo. Yes. Which was the, the 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 thing, and no one knows what it really meant. Well, unless you went to the theater, what it really meant is that uh, at a certain point in the movie, there's a skeleton uh, appearing on screen. And during that scene, there would be a skeleton popping out of a box in the ceiling of the theater and just swinging through the th uh, through the uh, audience. Right, flying through the audience, which would be so much fun. Yeah, so much and, fun. Uh, yeah, it, it was meant to scare people, but after it got known that this uh, this happened, uh, kids would go there and make uh, make a game out of uh, trying to throw things at it and like have like um what what's the thing's called the, uh, the slingshot uh, slingshots yeah exactly and yeah but this is also like even if you are not watching it in emergo if you're just watching it at home it's just so much fun mostly i i got to say mostly because of Winston Price yes he's he's so good in this thing and it's one of the few that i actually like the remake i like the remake of this one quite a bit i think that I it was it 99 yeah I went, 99 yeah. It was, um, I actually enjoy the remake. I thought they did a good job with it. But my favorite thing in this movie, and it has always been my favorite thing in this movie, is the first time the old lady goes floating by when she comes shooting out of the darkness and she's like, ah, and her hands are just perfectly <laughs> stiff in front of her. And she's yeah. clearly on a cart or something being pulled across, you know, because it's all real dark shadows underneath her. But that's still, I feel like that's still effective. Like that still works as a good, uh, a good scare because yeah. it's so unnatural. Everything about yeah. it is so unnatural. And the story's pretty simple. It's the same if you've seen the remake, haven't maybe haven't seen the original. Vincent Price invites all of these individuals who are in need of money to a haunted house. They have to stay there overnight. And if they don't die, they get $10,000. They don't die from fright. They get uh, $10,000 each. And then it gets a little bit deeper. There's a love component to it, a, kind of a love triangle. And a lot of people tricking um tricking each other i guess but i love him with the puppeteering the skeleton the way that skeleton at the end is walking <laughs> walking across yeah. the uh the basement the, the, the wine cellar yeah but th that whole movie uh i i already love the opening where we first get just like the the picture of the house and then vincent price's face as he tells us about the uh, what like it's basically like there there probably was like a, a newspaper article or something where he wrote it and he just reads it to us and then um and then uh, we see all the faces of the people there with a quick explanation of who they uh, are yeah and why they're who, who they are why they're there why they need the money and i think they all tell it to us themselves right it's always their faces and they say yeah i think they the they're in the riding in the cars and stuff and then we see the, oh, yeah. yeah, they're all in the vehicles coming up to the house and we see them and then we get an explanation of who they are and yeah. why they, why they are there. 
So it's already a good setup because we know all the characters. They all have a reason to be there. And I feel like the, the plot in itself almost sounds like a, like a, uh, like a William Castle gimmick. Like, right. <laughs> if you stay overnight and you survive, you get uh, $10,000. Yeah. That's, but the movie yeah. just opens up with, it's just a blank screen with screaming. It's just black and you just hear screaming for probably a good 15 seconds. Ah, ah. And you get to all the, and, uh, It's so good. Yeah, and I, I just love Vincent Price and uh, so I guess uh, Carol Omart. They they work together so well when they just like because they're they're like a couple that has its problems for sure. Yeah, well, uh, without spoiling the movie. <laughs> yeah, I would say that you know what though we should just talk about these movies. They're spoiler alert if you haven't seen any of these, but I mean these are really old movies. And, and they're fun, even if you know what's happening, yeah, here, to be fair. Even if you know yeah. what's coming, they... Um... Because, yeah, as it turns out in this movie, uh, it's all fake. Like, there's no ghosts in the house. It's all uh, rigged either by uh, by Vincent Price or his wife because they both try to one-up each other. Right. He tries to kill her to get... Uh, well, he believes he believes that she tried to kill him. Remember that he had tried to she had tried to poison him. Oh yeah. So he's Sorry, already right? like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he so he is already against her, and she's already she is trying to kill him. Yeah, she's trying time. to kill him to get his. So mom. he has this even bigger plan to expose her ideas because we find out that one of David was her lover, and so he's been in on it. One of the other guys who's there has been in oh, on yeah. it the whole time. And yeah, so that's and when he comes out of the, she shoots him. He didn't know, or she didn't know that he had put blanks in all of the guns when they gave everybody the, the 45s. And then he does the skeleton puppeteering and knocks her, knocks her into the vat of acid at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> and it's, it's just so much fun. It's, it's a great plot. It's, and, but, the, but those, those both characters, they're just like, you know, he knows she tried to kill him, but they're still together. And he's, He's just like giving her snarky responses all right. the time and they just they just hate each other with a passion and it's so much fun because they play it so well. It's mostly because Vincent Price is just the greatest man on earth. Yeah, he was <laughs> that guy, man, he was so good. So good. Yeah. Okay. So and, yeah, House on Haunted Hill, 100% watch it. Yeah. So much and fun. And so in the same year, probably uh, as far as I've heard of Castle by now, it was probably shot like right back to back. He just, oh, we still have the sets. Let's do the next one. And uh, in the same year, they also released Tingler. Right. Which, uh, 1959 as well, which was filmed in Percepto. That's the... that's The, the gimmick for this one. Yeah. And this... So, to explain the gimmick, we got to uh, explain the plot first. It's right. about a doctor who uh, figures out there's this thing called the Tingler. So Played by if, Vincent if, Price. Yeah, the doctor is yeah. of course Vincent Price. So if you if you ever felt scared or like uh, yeah anxious, you you feel this tingling down your spine, right? Right. And that's not because uh, because it's a bodily function. No, that's actually a being called the tingler that's growing in your spine. <laughs> a parasite. <laughs> yeah, a parasite. Right. And the only way to get rid of it without, uh, or else it will kill you. The only way to get rid of it is if you scream. Right. And that's the only, and, the only, and we should mention though, that as I was reading more about William Castle, that this is one of his collaborations. And a lot of people say his best work was when he worked with writer Rob White. And so okay. they did, they did House on Haunted Hill together. They did 
Macabre together, and then they did The Tingler together as well. I'm not sure about what uh, other ones they did. I don't know if they worked together. I think they did 13 Ghosts as well. Yeah, they did that together. Okay. <laughs> and so this guy, you know, it's nice to mention him because you, when you have those kind of teams like that yeah, who do this stuff together. So this is the one you had told me to watch that I had not seen yet. So this is my first time seeing The Tingler, and I absolutely just loved it. Like every it's- minute of this movie – was fantastic. And I was so for anyone, we're going to spoil this as well, but it's on YouTube completely. So just take a break, go to YouTube, watch it and come back. (laughs) Yes. Cause not, none of these are very long movies. You can, um, and I'm even looking at a poster of it right now and it says, do you have the guts to sit in this chair? And so (laughs) the gimmick here was that he had rigged up some of the chairs in certain theaters and the audiences to actually give you a tingling sensation and we get the intro, like Vincent Price, even during the movie, it'll completely fade to black and it's almost talking to the audience. Like, scream, scream, it's the only way. You've got to scream. Yeah, and not just almost talking to the audience. I think he's saying uh, the tingler is in your theater now. So uh, if you feel it, you better scream. Right. And yeah. uh, then they also, what what also was added to the, uh, to the uh, gimmick is that they had... Um, paid uh, extras, actors and actresses in the theater starting to scream and some even like uh, uh, playing like they were fainting. Yeah. And so imagine you're sitting in the theater. You just watched this movie. You probably, because it's still 1959, you probably don't really know what's going on with the tingling, really. And so you see this movie, you hear that's what's happening. And then your, <laughs> your back starts vibrating and people around you start fading. Right. Which would be so much fun. Like, that would be a crazy experience. And yeah. I was reading on the wiki that John Waters said when he was a kid, he used to try and search for the seats that had the the tingling so he could get the, the full experience. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And if anybody wants a tingling, I'm sure it was John Waters. He's uh, <laughs> always looking for a tingling. So the, Probably, yeah. outside of the gimmick, this movie itself... I absolutely loved once they got the tingler out of uh, the one guy's wife, which that dude was a piece of shit. He's like, yeah, do, you know, do these crazy experiments. Then he's taking all the money to run away. Um, but once they actually get the tingler out and it's moving around and it's, uh, you know, you see the big shadows of this tank. It almost looked like a big centipede. It was this, yeah, and it was a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be, but it was clearly, you know, yeah. on strings, on strings, and being uh, moved around the room was so yeah. much fun. It was so. But cool. also, uh, before that, I I just love the idea. Like, okay, you can get like the the gimmick and the the movie work together so well because the the whole idea of the of the movie is that um, if if you scream, you can get rid of the tingler and it won't grow too fast. And so he finds this this mute woman who can't scream, and he drugs her with LSD, I think. Yeah, some and, kind of psychedelic. Yeah, and uh, and you you see her trip, and I think I've heard that this is probably the first trip ever shown on on a movie uh, screen, because you see what she sees, like it's all in in color, even like it's a short the, color. Yeah. Sequence. Well, the only thing that was in color was the blood in the sink, right? I think yeah, it was just exactly. yeah, just the red blood in the sink, which is super cool that it was just this one one piece of red that that showed up yeah, in all that, this. But even I, though I she was tripping, uh, I thought Steven Spielberg stole it for Schindler's List. <laughs> 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 but I I I thought that her husband was doing a lot of those things cuz he had the mask and the fake arm and all that in the chest, remember? Yeah. So he was at the house fucking with her at the same time. 
Oh, yeah, because he wanted her to die, right? Right, he, right. He wanted yeah. her to die so he could take all the money and leave. And that's yeah, but I mean. also Vincent Price was also uh, really excited about it because he could grow the tingler. <laughs> right, and then he he wanted to put it back into her body, and that's when he found out that the husband never took her to the morgue or anything. He just had oh, her. Yeah, he exactly. just had her body in the uh, apartment. He's yeah. like, we got to put the tingler back where it came from, <laughs> but then the tingler gets loose. It just so happens, which I think is so good, like such smart thinking on Castle's part. The whole final sequence of this movie takes place in a theater. Their, yeah. their apartment is above a theater. First, I was thinking, who would live in an apartment above a movie theater? Because it'd be so loud all the time. But the 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 final sequence all takes place in this movie theater, and the tingler is now loose in the theater, and the screen goes black. He shuts the lights off in the theater, and it's like, ladies and gentlemen, the tingler is loose in the theater. So you had, while these people are watching this movie in 59, the whole screen goes black, and he's explaining, like, the tingler's here, the tingler's here. It was uh it's just so cool, man. Such a such a great idea. Such a great idea. Yeah. I wish we could have those kind of theater experiences uh, these days, but <laughs> Did I ever tell you, you know, when that- I when I worked at a theater I did something like this? We used to do no. it. Yeah, when um when which one was it? Uh I think it was I still know what you did last summer came out. We got the full costume in the the rain slicker and the hook and everything. And we would hide behind the screen. And then once it got to near the end and it was like the whole chase sequences, we would come out walking and walk through the audience, like dressed up as the <laughs> the guy from, I don't know if we were supposed to do that, but we would do it. And it was, um, it was a lot of fun. People would be like scream, screaming, ah, yeah. you know, really freaked out. Oh, that's cool. See, you're almost like uh, following up in, in I know. William Castle's I, I'm footsteps. I'm fo- following in William Castle's footsteps, making it happen. <laughs> <laughs> for sure but yeah the tingler i i just cannot i recommend high enough cannot recommend it high enough yeah. it was so much fun it is completely on youtube just go and watch it right now yeah yeah it's all there you can find it um don't miss that one don't miss the tingler yeah it's it's great and once again vincent price is just like awesome yeah. and i I like in this one that's probably his best characters are when he's like Oh, oh, no, I think his best characters are when he goes full on asshole. But like in this one, he's kind of in the middle. Like he's he's not perfectly the good guy, but right. he's also not the bad guy in the movie. Right. Yeah. He's good, though. I mean, it's Vincent Price. You can never. Yeah, I've never watched Vincent Price and thought, oh, I didn't really like that. Yeah, I've never exactly. once in my life, and I've been, my grandmother, my one grandmother, she was a huge Vincent Price fan. She was actually all those old um, kind of staples of horror-type cinema, and she would, you know, Karloff, Lugosi, but she always had on Vincent Price stuff and would show us different Vincent Price things. And she was also really big into British TV. She would watch <laughs> BBC before I even knew what BBC was, like Faulty Towers and stuff. I remember being on being on a lot. But yeah, she cool, loved yeah. loved Vincent Price, and we, I remember well, her watching a lot of the Edgar Allan Poe stuff when I was uh, the Roger Corman stuff was super yeah, uh, cool. Yeah, when I met Roger yeah. Corman, I asked him about that. I said my grandmother would be mad if I didn't ask you about the Poe stuff. But what was it like making those and working with Vincent Price? And he had great great stories about it. But anyways, um, all right. So what are we on to next? Thirteen Ghosts. Well, yeah, the next one is 13 Ghosts, which, uh, wait, I got to look it up. It, this one was filmed in Illusion-O. Yeah. <laughs> well, so this is like actually Illusion hyphen O. Right. So. Yeah, Illusion-O. It yeah, was a, um, 
I actually watched this movie in Illusion, though, because all you need is 3D glasses, the, the old ones. And, uh, of course, in, in the theater when they went there, they actually got, like, these big cards. And, like, if you were, you could decide. If you wanted to see the ghosts, you looked through the red uh, thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted and to see you, the ghosts, you would look through the red. And if you wanted to hide them, you would look through the blue. If it was, yeah. if it was too terrifying, it was so scary, you just had to get rid of the ghosts. You had to look through the look through the, but you could still see them without the yeah yeah because they were still blue. You just couldn't see them when you watched right. through the blue. Yeah, uh, but you but saw still them. a great idea. They 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 of course planned on you just watching the whole movie through that th thing. Yeah, but I thought it was only yeah when the ghosts were there is the only time you had to hold it up to your face and see it. And they would even do that in the movie. They had the same type of viewers. That you would put on the glasses, and that's how they could oh, see the ghosts. Yeah, yeah so yeah, that's they, that's they when you knew to look through. And this was another one. Actually, Phil had picked this as a classic pick of the week, the remake of Thirteen Ghosts. Um, recently, Still which I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's not it's not the best movie, but I love the ghosts, and it's a great example of '90s horror. Like a sterling example of 90s horror. But I love the way the ghosts and the phantoms and all that stuff look in look in the remake. But the original is so funny. Um, you know, because the, the ghosts, and I, I do enjoy the ghosts when they go through all 13 of them and explain it. But my favorite has always been the the lion tamer with no head. When he's <laughs> <laughs> he's just wandering around headless. And you got this big ghost lion roar, screaming at the um, the little kid. So yeah, so the, the plot to this is very simple. It's just there's this house, a family is, lives in the house or moves into the house. They they inherit it. So they inherit they're, it, yeah, yeah, they're down on their luck and they're you know having trouble paying their bills, and then they inherit oh, this yeah. house. And uh, Will had said from his great uncle or something, "You only get to keep the house if you live in it." And then everybody's everyone's real candid about this dude could talk to ghosts. They're like, "Yeah, he's got all these ghosts, and he just hangs <laughs> out with them. They're in the house." And then the plot thickens a little bit where there's hidden money in the house and yeah. the, the lawyer is trying to get them out of the house so he can steal the money, helping, trying to get the kid to help him. But the um, it was it's just so much fun seeing the, ooh, I mean, <laughs> like ghosts that are on fire just floating around everywhere. It's uh, it, And the gimmick would have been super cool at the time to, yeah, yeah you got to look through here if you want to see the ghost better or... You look through this one if you don't want to see the ghost at all. If you're too terrified, yeah, exactly. And this this movie got the wicked witch of the uh, the wicked witch of the of the west east east. I think uh, Margaret Hamilton is in this. Oh no, she was the she was the west. The I'm west, pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, she was the west. Let's see, but yeah, so uh, that that's also kind of cool that he got actors actually, right? Because for the most part, these were really unknown people. Yeah, very low-budget movies. He was making movies yeah. for little to nothing and then using the gimmick to get people in the seats. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, th this movie is also just like a lot, uh, a lot of fun. And uh, the, the characters are all like... There's, I, there's al always with, uh, with his movies, there are always only like one or two redeem redeemable characters and all the other ones are real assholes. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that is true. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, this is also really enjoyable and also completely on YouTube. And if you got some old 3D classes laying around, you can actually watch it in in the in the ghost. Illusion. Viewer. Illusion. -o. Yeah. You can watch it in Illusion. -o. All right. Yeah, so, so now we're getting to the movies that I think we haven't seen because you only said you've seen three, right? 
Yeah, it only even though I think I might have seen this Joan Crawford one. The I saw what you did. Okay, like, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. But yeah. first, uh, because he was a working animal. Like we now have uh, talked about four movies, and that was from 1985 to 1960. Right. <laughs> And then he went on, 1961, he made uh, Homicidal, uh, also no, no people I know in the, uh, the title of the, uh, the, the description of the movie is uh, The brutal stabbing murder of a justice of the peace sparks an investigation of dark family secrets in a sleepy small town in Southern California. Right. Sounds like a typical William Castle movie. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, this one had as the gimmick the, the fear break. Which is uh, sounds really horrible when you think about it. They had like, they so uh, uh, right before the climax of the movie, they had uh, the the screen go black and it showed a, a timer that went for forty five seconds. That was the fear break. And William Castle said that you now have the chance if you're too scared, you can go to the to the chicken corner, right? Which is the corner at the end of the theater where you can't see the uh, uh, the the screen. You can stand there and wait until the movie is over. Uh, but of course, once you got up and went there, people would actually boo you and make fun of right. you. And also, to make it worse, you were the last allowed to leave the cinema. So uh, so that all people could walk by you one more time and like make fun of you right. for, uh, for being scared of the movie. So... Uh, <laughs> that's that's a that's a gimmick that really quickly no one went to that corner because uh yeah nothing was <laughs> People, that scary right <laughs> yeah but mostly also because they were uh, they were scared of uh, being uh ridiculed <laughs> yeah they call it the coward's corner <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh in the same year he made mr sardonicus which uh is a bit known at least for the face because uh, it's about a guy uh, who has a really uh, scary face. I don't know if you've seen this picture. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. It looks kind of cheap, but also really fun. Yeah, it looks. I like it. I think it's great. The, yeah. Um, And uh, the plot of this one is a search for a winning lottery ticket in his dead father's grave causes Satonicus's face to freeze in a horrible grimace until he forces a doctor to treat his affliction. With even more grotesque results. The audience gets an opportunity. Oh, there, there, it even says it in the description. The audience gets an opportunity to vote via the punishment poll for the penalties that Tonicus must pay for his deeds. And this was like so everyone in the audience would get like a little card and they were, uh, that, that would either say uh, yes or no, I think. Yeah. Or something yeah. like that. And they could decide. What happens to Mr. Sardonicus if he gets to live or die at the end? And when that happened, uh, William Castle would actually show up on screen and would say, okay, now please uh, raise the card if you want to see him die. And then the, the cards would go up and he would like actually count on screen. And, and then uh, <laughs> that's so cool. And, and according to my source, at least, um, There was only one ending. <laughs> right, right. I was just reading some of the same thing that uh, the alternate ending was never screened and a lot of people don't even know if there was an alternate ending. Yeah. Although Castle said that he was sad that they never showed the uh, alternate ending because no one ever voted for him to live. But I guess that's also just part of part of his like uh, selling. The oh, stuff I'm sure. And, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. I mean, the guy clearly knew what he was doing. So he yeah, yeah, probably never never showed the the alternate ending and 
the it looks like even here they say in the drive-in versions drivers were asked to flash their headlights to <laughs> say if they wanted and that kind so, of stuff you don't we did get one recently what was the was it the second unfriend not unfriended it was one of the one of them webcam movies uh, i i think it was unfriended or unfriended something. to dark web yeah it, something it, like that it was something yeah. dark web that had a couple different endings and then i think the most famous of all of them is probably clue which had all the different endings that you could go to. They showed in different theaters. That's like, oh, that's so yeah. cool. So much and fun. That's, uh, that's also uh, on the Stars channel. I can finally watch Clue because oh, I haven't seen, seen it Clue? yet. Oh, you've never seen Clue? Clue is so... I came home the other day and Shayna was watching it. It's such <laughs> a good movie. So much fun. Tim Curry's just fantastic in that. Yeah, I really want to see it. I got the board game sitting right over there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a fun movie. That I only played for the first time last year. So I've... <laughs> oh, it's a great game. Clues, yeah, it's, so, it's really a great game. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and then uh, the um, the, uh, uh, the the gimmicks went down a bit because around this time, uh, Castle was told by his financial advisors that the gimmicks weren't really uh, financially feasible. They weren't uh, really that good. Uh, so for the next movie, all I could find is the next movie is Zots. Uh, Z-O-T-Z. Yeah. And then exclamation point. And there it says, a professor comes into possession of an amulet with magical powers. That, that's all the description it has to offer. And for this one, uh, a, a, according to my source, at the premiere in July of 62, they gave out golden plastic hats. And that's all that happened. Yeah, the glow in the dark. Yeah. As I'm seeing a lot of the same thing here. And for the next one, the next movie is uh, 13 Frightened Girls. I guess because he just made 13 Ghosts not too long ago. Maybe he thought the number 13 works. <laughs> so he made uh, 13 Frightened Girls. Um, while attending a school for diplomats' daughters, the teenage daughter of the American ambassador uses her access to vi various embassies to engage in espionage. Okay. And there, what you could say, the gimmick, or in this case, even more the marketing ploy for this one was that they um uh they made a big casting campaigns for 13 actresses in 13 countries so they made this big thing to uh, find the actresses for the movie but then there was no gimmick during the movie yeah all so i was he reading here was that each there were he filmed slightly different versions highlighting each girl for the release in her country oh okay so that's at least a little bit interesting and cool. right and uh, yeah, and, and that movie stars Murray, ha Murray Hamilton, uh, who I think From was Jaws. in a recent episode of uh, of the Twilight Zone that we talked about, right? Yeah, because we talked about he was in Jaws as well. Yeah, and he was in Jaws, exactly. Right, yeah, he was in the Twilight Zone. He was in, um, shit, I can see it in my head, but now I can't remember exactly which episode it was. But yeah, yeah he... Me, me neither. He, oh, it also has uh, Hugh Marlowe, who was like in... Uh, uh, the day the earth stood still and uh, all about eve so this this one had some bigger people actually and uh, norma varden where do i know her from that's one where you know the the, the face uh, and the name she was in oh uh, murray hamilton was in one for the angels you remember he was ah. he was mr death oh yeah right yeah or mr yeah. fate what did he call him something fate I, yeah i think no no mr death the, the one with fate was the one where they shoot the uh the western that was oh, the, yes. the, the Mr. Fate. He was just Mr. Death, yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, Norma Varden was in uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and uh, Witness of the Prosecution, Strangers on a Train. She was a, a big actress. Oh, she also was in Batman in the original series. Oh, nice. And, Always yeah, happy she, about Batman. <laughs> she looks really familiar. Yeah, but uh, that was all there was for that. And then there was a straight jacket, which was like probably... That's when he started working with... Um, Joan Crawford. John Crawford, Crawford, exactly. And uh, for this movie, for the most part, it was just a big uh, promotion tour where uh, 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 John Crawford would uh, walk around uh, and promote the movie, like yeah. you do in a normal movie promotion. Uh, but uh, then at the at the end, they gave out like fake plastic axes for all right, the, all which is kind of awesome. And so I've heard this one is actually really good. Like I haven't seen it yet, I haven't found it, but this. I've I've read a lot that this is one to watch for sure. Yeah, because that would uh, be um, yeah all these things I want to watch though. It's not even yeah. just one or the other. It's it's all of them. Yeah, me too. But like I've heard that Mister Sardonicus is not that good. Like it's not really fun uh, for the most part. It's just got some great scenes. But like Straight Jacket is actually like people say that's the one to watch. I feel like I've the, seen this. The, yeah, because. Yeah, After cause... 20 years stay at an asylum for double murder, a mother returns to her estranged daughter where suspicion arise about her behavior. Yes, I've seen Straight Jacket because you get that amazing psychotic image of Joan Crawford with the axe in her hand, which is, okay. uh, yeah, I've seen that one. Is it good? Yeah, like... I remember really liking, I mean, I really like Joan Crawford, though. I feel like no matter what, whenever I see her in a movie, I've, I haven't been disappointed. She always did, does a really good job. So I have seen Straight. I, it's been a long, long time, so I'll need to rewatch it. But I do remember enjoying it quite a bit. Okay, I, I want to see it as well. Like, I want to see all of these, like you said. So, uh, yeah, then uh, the next one. So this was 1964, and then he went on working with Joan Crawford in 1965 uh, with I Saw What You Did. Um, which where the story is uh, teenagers Libby and Kit innocently spend an evening making random prank calls. These calls lead to murderous consequences, which sounds fun. And uh, yeah, the the gimmick I found for this one is uh, well, they it's it's not really sure if this ever happened, but the plan was to have seat belts in the back so frightened uh, people wouldn't fall out of their chair. <laughs> so they were, but uh, there, there's no uh, there, there's no one can say if this really happened or if that just was the idea huh okay uh, and uh, then the last movie I have is just called Buck like this is like way later this was 1975 right so this is almost ten, 10 full years later yeah and that's uh yeah, okay, so this was also, I guess, not directed by him. It was directed by Janet Swark, who made uh, Jaws 2. <laughs> you know but, what? I, uh, don't, I don't hate Jaws 2. I, a lot of people don't like Jaws 2. I think Jaws 2 is fine. It's I a, haven't um, seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's of all the Jaws sequels, well, I mean, there was four total. Jaws 2 is the only one that I feel is really palatable. Three and four are fun to laugh at, but I feel like Jaws 2 still has some good moments in it. Okay, so I, I, I got to see it at some point. I think at some point we're going to do a Jaws episode or something like that. <laughs> yes, we should for sure. Yeah. So with Bug, um, uh, which is about an earthquake releasing bugs to the earth and mutant cockroaches that uh, have the ability to start fires. 
and they cause chaos on town. And so um, the their castle planned at least on um, having like brushes in the audience uh, uh, at their at their feet, and if the uh, if the bugs were on screen, the brushes would move and yeah. would, like simulate cockroaches running around. But they didn't go with that. That was shot down by the producers, I think. So um, instead, um, they they made another uh, another thing that actually worked quite well, as far as I've read, and that's they uh, put out life insurance um, around like I think ten million dollars uh, on the main star Hercules the cockroach, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is so so ridiculous. Yeah. But, uh, but it's so much fun. Yeah, and then uh, the next thing I've read is that um, Castle died at only 63 years old. Yeah, he was young. Yeah. Yeah, I was and looking right there. And then, as I'd mentioned earlier, he he wanted to make a big-budget movie. He wanted to do it himself. And so he bought the rights to um, the book Rosemary's Baby. So he's the one who actually got the rights. He put up a, a mortgage against his house to get the rights to Rosemary's Baby. He was hoping to direct it. He wanted to be, you know, do a big A-list, A-list type movie, but the studio insisted upon Polanski. They were like, we'll let you produce it. And so he did produce it and had a cameo in the movie, but they insisted on Roman Polanski directing it, which had William Castle directed Rosemary's Baby, it might have been a different thing. Who knows? But it might have not worked as well. <laughs> right. But especially uh, wasn't Rosemary's baby like sixty-three or something, so right in the middle of his uh Yeah, I don't remember when? what year it was. Um I'm gonna look it up. Okay, you, you look it up. But yeah, that was his but his last thing he had done was Bug that you were talking about before he ended up passing away in seventy seven. And I, I was reading here on the wiki too though that Hitchcock, uh I don't know how true all this is, but he decided to make Psycho after noting the financial success of the B-movies by William Castle and Roger Corman. And he's like, okay, maybe you can make a low-budget horror movie. But, of course, Albert Hitchcock, I don't think he knew how to make just run-of-the-mill anything. I mean, how many <laughs> times did they shoot that s the shower scene? Um, but, yeah, it was uh, William Castle, man. William Castle. Yeah, he, he is like one of those uh, guys that... Is like not many people talk about him, even though he was a big influence on theaters and like uh, movies in general at the time. Yeah, and he's yeah, I I would say he's on a level, even though he made fewer movies, <laughs> especially as a producer. But uh, he's almost on a level with Corman as like oh, absolutely, yeah. And his his movies are, I think, at least the ones I've seen are even like they're not bad, like. I think with Roger Corman, his movies are really like so bad they're good almost. Like they're they're fun, but like Death Race Two Thousand is not really a great movie. It's mostly like just so crazy and fun. While uh, uh, Castle's movies, like especially House on Haunted Hill and The Tingler, they're just like good movies. They're they're fun. You can watch them and enjoy them. And uh, yeah, yeah. So. No, I completely agree with you, man. And did you ever see the Joe Dante movie Matinee? Uh, no, not yet. I really want to. It's the one with uh, uh, John Goodman. Uh, John Goodman, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a really fun, great movie. And I was just reading here that it was based on Castle. 
Like John Goodman's character is based on William Castle. And if you see the movie, that makes so much more sense now. I always liked the movie for for what it was, but I think that's um oh, and he says here Robert Zemeckis is favorite filmmaker. And so um said when Zemeckis co-founded Dark Castle, it was intended to remake Castle's movies. Oh so, yeah, which is kind of fun. So this guy's had yeah, a lot I- of influence on a lot of people. Yeah, and I feel like uh, that's that's another point. There's always like this this talk about remakes. Are remakes good? Should we do remakes? I think Castle's movies are perfect for remakes because they're fun. They have great ideas, uh, and they're maybe not the best movies, but the ideas alone are enough. Like with Thirteen Ghosts, the idea you can make a good horror movie out of that. Yeah, and uh, uh, House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, you say you like the remake. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I think there should be a remake of The Tingler that just goes completely uh, nuts. <laughs> that would be so much fun. And I mean, your, your theaters already have re- reclining chairs and uh, seat heaters. Right. Why not? Why not also add? Uh, yeah. Put in a tingler, <laughs> man. Put in a yeah. tingler. Why not? Make it happen. Um, well, cool, man. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. That was uh, yeah, for sure. And so yeah, highly encourage people to check out the William Castle stuff. I'm going to try and see a few more. Especially the macabre, I really want to see and see what that's yeah. all about. His first one, and then yeah, if you get a chance to watch Straight Jacket, I want to watch that again. I can't remember where I watched it. If I had a copy of it somewhere, or who knows, I never know. But um, so that's uh, that's it for us. And if you want to get into contact with us at IHOH Podcast on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then you can email us, ihohpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, if you would jump onto Apple Podcasts and leave a rate and review, that would be greatly appreciated. Those things are wonderful. Those are they're gold for the podcasting world. Uh, so if you could do that, that would be great. And for the International House of Horrors podcast, I have been Joe Merle. I've been Josh. And we'll be back next week with more things terrible, horrible, brutal, bloody, gory, and the macabre.